Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the very last quarterly report of 2017. I am your host, Armand Lee. Thank you so much for listening in to this week's episode. We got a really fun show for you today. My homeboy, my partner, Travis Thomas, is stopping by. He's the host of Wizards Overtime on NBC Washington. He's going to break down the Wizards, but also the NFL, and we'll recap a very fun year in boxing for the year of 2017. All that and so much more coming at you again on the final episode of the year. But first, the number one story this week. First quarter. So with 2017 coming to an end, it's been a really fun, crazy year. You know, this was the beginning of the podcast. So I wanted to kind of take some time. Oh, well, there goes that idea. Merry Christmas, Armand. I've missed these sports convos, but I've been pretty busy recently. You know, holiday shopping and all. Wait, what? You celebrate Christmas? Yeah, you know, JC and I have a complicated relationship. But if not for him, I wouldn't be the devil I am today. Hashtag reflection. <laughs> okay, whatever you say. Plus, I can't lie. Those Christmas songs you humans make are catchy as hell. Especially uh, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas. Man, that's my sh- Wow, you learn something new every day. So, uh, what are we playing Devil's Advocate for this week? This week, I want you to play Devil's Advocate on instant replay, being bad for all sports. Hmm, this is going to be a tricky one, but you know what? I'll give it a shot. You know, sometimes the pursuit of perfection ends up getting us in a place that we don't want to be, you know? Sometimes we tweak and meddle so much that we end up messing a really good thing. You know the cliche, if it ain't broke, don't fix, don't fix it? Well, that applies to instant replay. Look, the idea of instant replay essentially is make sure you get everything right. Now, what's wrong with that? I think we all would agree, right, in games, in games where you have players who are paid millions of dollars, coaches, general managers who are also paid millions of dollars and where you've got hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars being exchanged when it comes to betting and all types of other things that go on. You want to make sure you get everything right. And that idea makes sense. It's, it, it, it's perfect, right? We have the technology to get everything right. Why wouldn't we? The problem with instant replay, though, is we don't ever get anything right. And most, I shouldn't say most, in many occurrences, in many occasions, instant replay just highlights just how ridiculous the rules are and the interpretation of rules are. Obviously, football, they got a whole lot of this going on because before instant replay was, re was brought back in, you know, because it went away for like a decade or so. It comes back in, and now no one knows what a catch is. You know what I'm saying? Uh, was it didn't didn't it start with the tuck rule? I, I believe the tuck rule started like the year after, maybe the same year instant replay was brought back in. It's been in for a while now, but no one had ever heard of the tuck rule. You know what I mean? I remember watching that Raiders game, and everybody thought the Raiders beat the Patriots. And who knows how things change? you know, in terms of history when it comes to professional football in this country, right? Maybe John Gruden never leaves Oakland. You know, we, we, we saw what happened to the Raiders once Gruden left. I mean, the Raiders, they had Rich Gannon, you know, Woodson was there. I mean, you know, they wouldn't have drafted uh, Jamarcus, obviously, because they, they still would have been really good. They wouldn't have had a number one overall pick. So who knows how things change if the Raiders win that game, right? Who knows how things change if the Patriots lose? Like, so much happens. But the idea was, when you first saw that game, everyone thought Brady fumbled. But they reviewed it, and then they came up with this rule. I want to say they came up with it. It was already a rule, but no one had ever heard of it. And it was the tuck rule. And that's kind of how replay was repackaged to the masses. And now, in, in football, 
You know, you had the game that I talked about last week where the Steelers and the, the Patriots are playing and everyone thinks it's a catch, but it's not a catch. No one knows what a catch is anymore. It's difficult. Like, you know, it's basically just hold on to the ball until until the referee takes it away. You know what I mean? Just don't let the ball go ever, even if it's by your own doing, because it may not be a catch. In fact, I'm at the point now I've been conditioned to think anytime the ball, you put the ball down, even if you do it voluntarily, it's not a catch. You can just, just hold the ball until the ref takes it away from you. And where replay was supposed to enhance the game, it's now taken away. Like things like that. We thought it was a catch. We think something is a catch. We think something is a fumble because it's always been a fumble. It's always been a catch. But now replay makes refs look at all these other things that we had never even thought of, that generations of fans had never even known was a part of the game. Now, I guess you could take that either one of two ways. Either one, we could just accept that this is the rules and learn, learn the rules, right? To better understand the game, right? This is this is a teaching moment, right? You can you can better understand the game. You can learn from the game. Whether you like the rule or not, understand that this is the rule. The competition committee is not going to change it. So now you can understand and further grasp what is and what is not a catch. Or what is or what is not a fumble, right? Or you could look at it and be like, this is dumb. I know that's a catch. And the only reason it's not a catch is because refs are getting another look at it. And if, if that's the case, just do away with it. Because I'd rather I'd, I'd rather watch the game where that's a catch. And your instinct, right, your initial impression is, okay, he caught the ball, that's a touchdown. He caught the ball, first down. Or he fumbled the ball, that's a turnover. And you gotta, you gotta ride with it, right? Because the overall problem I have with replay is you don't want these humans to make on-the-spot interpretations some of the time and if that's the case if you want to do if you want it to be letter of the law have it be letter of the law 100 of the time don't let guys be able to make a gut call 50 60 70 of the time but only in these certain circumstances they've got to follow the 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 rule book you know don't let these guys be able to determine okay that could be called pass interference but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna blow the whistle here that probably is a holding, but you know what? He could he could go through that. He could suck it up. It wasn't that bad. Because then you're starting to play, you're playing God. You know what I mean? Like either take human element away completely or keep it in 100% of the time. Because that's the problem I have with replay. And that's not just a football thing either. That's now starting to really bother me in the NBA. For instance, we all saw the Christmas game, right? the Warriors and the Cavaliers. LeBron James drives to the hole and Kevin Durant fouls him. I mean, it's clear he fouled him. But in fouling him, the ref doesn't blow the whistle and the ball goes off of LeBron's hand and it was close. It wasn't blatant. You, you had to take another look at it. And they went to the re replay booth and when they saw it, they saw clear as day that Kevin Durant fouled him. They had the, uh, you know, the, the last two minute report that came out and said that, you know, they missed the call. And the fact that you could go back and see who the ball went off of, but you can't go back and, and say that you missed the call, that's so, that's just so ass backwards to me. It happened a few weeks ago when the Thunder were playing in Philadelphia, and there were a few blown calls that the refs had the potential or had the ability to look at right afterwards, but they couldn't change the, the call because you can only use replay to determine you know, if your foot is on the line or if the ball went off of a player or something like that. But you can't you can't determine if someone traveled and you missed it or you can't determine if someone was fouled and you missed it. So at that point, why are only some judgment calls correctable? That's the problem. You know. That's that's an issue. And that's the that's what I am more most upset when it comes with replay either have it 100% of the time because we have the technology. Again, I talked about this last week. Why the NFL doesn't have a chip in the football, you know, like a sensor. And whenever it crosses the, you know, a goal line or whenever it gets to a first down marker, it goes off or it sends some type of notification to the ref. Okay, 
that was the first down because we got referees using index cards and a chain gang, right? To determine what a first down is. The rules of a first down are completely different than the rules of a touchdown. If a running back fumbles after crossing the plane, well, that's still a touchdown. If a receiver makes a football play, falls down, and gets back up and crosses the plane, you would think that would be a touchdown, but we know it's not. Because you got to complete the entire process or whatever the, the terminology is. The whole thing is crazy. So I'm all, I'm all in. Be all in, right? All or nothing. Either use the technology to get everything right. And you know what? Before I move on, why does it take so long? You'll be in the house and you'll see one, one frame, one shot, one angle of a play. Basketball, football, whatever. And you're like, okay, yep, that's easy. Let's move on. And for whatever reason, the refs, and I understand they got to get the clock right. They want to make sure everything and all this other stuff. But I, it doesn't take as long as it's supposed to, as long as it, some of these instances it does. You know, I remember when football reintroduced the replay system, there was like a, supposed to be a clock where the video stops after like a minute or so, and the referee has to get out of the booth, and then they make their call. It wasn't supposed to drag on like it does now. Clearly, they made some change because it takes, it takes so long in football, even on calls that should be open and shut. And basketball is even worse because I, again, refs can only make certain calls after looking at a replay. I mean, if that's, if in basketball, if I get fouled and then the ball goes off of me and the referee can take a look and see clear as day that the person was fouled, but you can't do anything about it. You know what? Just get it out. Like the replay in football, you can probably convince me needs to stay i can i can be convinced i'm i'm fine either way with it if you're going to take it out i have no problem with that but in basketball get out of here you don't need it unless you're going to do buzzers like at the end of the game if you're going to do that if you want to see if a shot left the hand like if you only wanted to use replays on shots and i think they had this rule maybe in the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s where you could only replay if a shot went off on time then I'd be fine with that. But all this other stuff, get it out of here because they don't they don't know what they're doing. It doesn't make any sense to only allow certain judgment calls to be replayed or reviewed and others not to be. Because games with that many possessions, that many instances, that many things that could happen on one play, if you can only review maybe a third of the possibilities, then it's pointless and it's taking it's wasting everyone's time. Hmm. Very compelling argument, Armand. And I must say, I agree with you 100%. Do away with replay. I mean, who cares? I've got better use for those officials anyway. <laughs> All right, Armand. Well, have an amazing 2018. I'm sure I'll see you soon. See me soon. Wait, what? Huh? <sighs> Can't stand when that Bama does that. Anyway, you know what? I usually don't agree with the devil. I try to make that a point of my life to not agree with the damn devil. But I got to admit, man, he's on to something. Like, if if you're not going to use it 100% of the time, like with tennis. Tennis, they've perfected replay. And it's quick. You know, you see the little, you know, the, the animation of the balls in or out, and they move it on. That's it. Doesn't take any time. It's seamless almost. They have perfected the art. If we're not going to use it, that way, when it comes to football and basketball, they just don't have it. Again, if you want to use it in the NBA in terms of last-second shots, I understand that, right? Because that should be simple. It should be, you know, uh, effective, and should it should not be time-consuming. But what they're doing now in the NFL, what they're doing, I, we don't need it. We've seen it in the NFL. We don't need it. No one was complaining. There were a few occurrences where, you know, there would be a big moment and it was clear that two feet didn't get down or something like that. And that would be annoying. But you know what? What's more annoying? Not knowing what a catch is? Not knowing what a fumble is? You know? I mean, I, I remember one of the first games of this season. The Eagles played Washington. Kirk Cousins clearly didn't fumble the ball, but they reviewed it, and they still rooted a, a fumble return for a touchdown. The, I mean, the whole thing is crazy. So if you're going to still get calls wrong using replay, just do away with it. 
All right, guys, hopefully you don't want to do away with me in the podcast because remember, we want to hear from you. We want the show to be as interactive as possible. So please remember, you can always tweet me at the show. We're at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. That's on Twitter. Or you can email us. We're at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Let me know your comments. If you want to talk about something, if you think there's something that I'm missing out, you want to respond to something I may have said, all those things are in play. So respond to me, tweet at me, email me, let me know what you're thinking, which topic you want to hear me discuss. All of that is in play for the quarterly report. All right, guys, that's quarter number one. We're going to keep things moving with our second topic this week. Second quarter. So with the year coming to a close, I thought it was important for me to discuss my second favorite sport, which is boxing. You guys know this by now. And just how important 2017 was for the entire sport. Uh, You know, a lot of the headlines this year went to Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. And then also uh, Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. Like, those were the two marquee fights. But I would argue even more than those two fights, the biggest thing that happened this year was a, a, a an emphasis on getting the fights right, right? Getting the, the fights that the people want, getting the fights that the that are the best fights available, and getting away from I guess protecting your record, your win loss record. That's one thing that happened. Um I guess in the 90s, it started, the, the mid to late 90s. I mean, everyone's obviously wanted to, to protect their record, right? None of these guys want to lose in the ring. But it, it became so much of the focus of keeping your losses to a minimum, if anything, that fans, we were, we were cheated almost from seeing the, the best fights available because so many guys were protecting that win-loss record to get to the big fight. You know what I mean? It's easier or your case, you have a more compelling case to get the big, you know, marquee um, prize fight when you can say, hey, look, my guy hasn't lost yet. You know, that's when that's when that becomes part of the selling of a fight. Like, hey, look, I'm undefeated. You know, as opposed to being, look, my fighter is the best fighter. My fighter puts on the best show. We will we will generate because. Everybody at some point started focusing on getting the pay-per-view fight. And I get that. Look, I'm a capitalist. I get it. You want to maximize your earning potential, especially when these guys are putting their life on the line every time they step in the ring, whether it's to to fight or to, to spar. You understand? So I get that completely. I'm never going to tell someone not to make as much money as they possibly can. But it, it took away from the sport because – you weren't getting the fights that everybody wanted. You weren't getting the fights that everybody knew were the best because there was so much politics involved. And then you had this cold war between the, the Heyman group and then the, you know, um, you had this cold war between, you know, top rank and um, the premier fighters and Al Heyman, you know, and then it was Showtime and HBO and that still exists to a lesser extent now. And then you had the ESPN now, but when ESPN got involved with top rank, it was kind of like, okay, Hey, look, you can do this. Like this still works. People can still make money. And I think when Pacquiao and Floyd fought and, you know, there were a lot of hard feelings on both those sides clearly, but they still made money. Right. And the fight wasn't good, but it did a lot for the sport just to have those two separate parties get involved, make money and then be like, look, we can we can still work together because 2017. I mean, we saw Klitschko versus Anthony Joshua, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later in the show with Travis. But that's Showtime, HBO overseas. You know what I mean? Like everything that you everything that you could think would be a roadblock. It went off smoothly in the fight. Most importantly, most important, the fight went off perfectly. And it was arguably the fight of the year. You know, um, you had Kell Brook and Errol Spence get involved. You had obviously Golovkin and 
um, Canelo, and they 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 weren't necessarily part of the Cold War, but they were two top fighters in politics, you know, because De La Hoya wanted to make sure that he protected Canelo as as long as he could. But it, they got involved. I mean, we saw it at the end of 2016 when Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalev fought. These are two of the the top pound for pound fighters, but they put on the they put on the fight that everybody wanted to see. There was some controversy at the end of the first fight. The second fight happened. It was either better than the first one, and there was no doubt after that point who was the better fighter. And, like, all that is so important for the sport because boxing is its own worst enemy. I say this all the time. If you see two guys fight and it's a, a compelling fight, you will be interested to watch. Like, boxing should sell itself, but so many people have such a negative impression of the sport before they even tune in. And the only person to blame, the only people to blame, the only entity to blame for that is boxing. They've been their own worst enemy. They've got so many exciting, young, charismatic fighters right now. The only thing they have to do is get out of the way and make sure they fight each other. Because ultimately, if you put on a show, people will not be mad if you lost or not. So when you, I talked about this a few weeks ago with Jay Michael when it came to Canelo, uh, not Canelo, Miguel Cotto. People love Miguel Cotto. And he lost, he, lost, he lost some big fights. In fact, of his biggest fights, he lost most of them, of the big high prize fights. You know, he lost to Manny Pacquiao. He lost to Floyd. He lost to Canelo. But people don't, don't hold that against him. People love Miguel Cotto. Miguel Cotto still could draw. Still could sell fights because he put on a show and he gave it his all. And that is what we saw come back to the forefront this year. And hopefully the sport can, can keep that momentum because, man, the, the fights on the horizon, the, the, the possibilities. I mean, I've been, I was calling this out a few years ago with my guy Travis. And maybe we'll talk about it later about a potential Terrence Crawford Errol Spence fight. You can make the case that those are the two best American fighters right now. I mean, Bud is definitely, and with Andre gone, I mean, I don't know who else. Maybe Keith, you may put Keith, but I think Errol's better. You know? And you're talking about two of the best in the world. You put them up and see who's the best. And, and that's at a welterweight division. And that fight looks like it may not happen in 2017, but if both those guys continue to, to wreck shop and dominate the way they have, now Bud is moving up in weight, so it's going to be probably a little bit tougher for him. But, you know, that that's something that maybe early 2019, if not end of 2018, that's, that's the next super fight for real. And despite the fact that they've got different backing, well, you know what? We've seen that the Cold War is over and that different parties can work together, still make money and then make their fighters even bigger stars because of it. Like a loss won't hurt either of them. If they both do what we expect from them now, because now they both have a history of being excellent fighters. And it's not just them. We're going to have a Canelo Golovkin rematch, right? Maybe we finally get AJ and Wilder fighting and that's in the heavyweight division. I mean, there's so many, so many, Maybe Lomachenko fights Mikey Garcia. Like all these potential fights that are special, special fights. They're 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 now a possibility. It's almost like when WCW and WWF, like they when WWF bought WCW and all these like dream fights everybody was thinking about. Like, hey, maybe you know Goldberg fights Stone Cold and maybe Sting fights The Undertaker and all this other stuff. Rock and Booker T and yada yada yada. Most of those didn't happen, but in boxing, real fighting, right? There's, there's a, there's a chance, not even a chance. There's an expectation that these fights now materialize. And that is exciting because again, whether we're talking about Bud, Nomachenko, Golovkin, AJ, Earl, Sean Porter, Keith Thurman, uh, Danny Garcia, Mikey Garcia, Leo Santa Cruz, Hampton, Frampton. I mean, like the the sport is littered with exciting young fighters 
who the sky's the limit. I mean, I just I didn't even scratch the surface. And when it comes to just in-ring fights, I mean, again, the action speaks for itself. For boxing, it's important for them just to get out their own way and let their guys let their guys fight and put on the show. And with that, I told you guys a few weeks ago, I teased it, that I would be giving you my pound for pound list as we put the 2017 calendar behind us. I think the top five, I mean, it, it, it's, it pretty much cleared itself out, you know. I mean, there's still some questions in terms of um, Golovkin and Canelo. There's still some questions about is Anthony Joshua the real deal? And there's some other young promising fighters who, you know, may just be scratching the surface. Like, are they ready to be top five? We don't know, you know, because another thing that happened in 2017, a lot of great fighters called it quits. But as we stand right now, okay, the last quarterly report of 2017, here is my list, my final pound for pound list of the top five fighters in the world. Number five, I'm going to start. And this guy is probably my favorite fighter right now. I mean, I, I, love, I love everything about him. He's got a fight with local product, Lamont Peterson, coming up. I want to say January of 2018. But Errol Spence, in my opinion, he's the best welterweight in the world. Um, I think Keith Thurman should fight Errol uh, first. Well, not first. Keith has to get work himself back. I mean... He deserves that because he is the um, the lineal welterweight champion. Um, but he's coming off of elbow surgery. And, you know, you're not going to put him in the ring with the lion like Arrow coming back. So Keith probably gets two fights under his belt before he takes a big a big time contender. Whether it's Arrow, whether it's Bud, whether it's a rematch versus Sean, who knows? But to me, the welterweight division is going to be run by Arrow Spence for uh, some time now. And I think he's the fifth best fighter pound for pound in the world. Number four, this is where it gets tricky. You know, it's a tie. Obviously, Golovkin and Canelo. You know, they got some unfinished business. I want to say single to mile week in the 18. They're going to scrap it out again. And, you know, I can't wait. I thought the first fight was really good, really amazing. I mean, everybody focuses on um, Golovkin's strength and power, but He's got an amazing chin because Canelo rocked him several times with big time shots and Golovkin walked right through it. Canelo, unfortunately, he boxed. He boxed his ass off, especially those last three rounds. But you got to question his endurance because he had a lull. Like he started really strong and he ended strong. But those middle rounds, it looked like he was gassed. Uh, but tied for fourth, we're going to have Golovkin and Canelo. And obviously, with the draw in their first fight, they get a chance to settle the score. And hopefully, hopefully we have a decision, a clear decision coming early 2018. Um, number two, it's Lomachenko, man. Vasily Lomachenko, this guy, he does things in the ring. In the, in the top two, we, we know who they are. It's just a matter of the order. And they both could, they're both top ranked guys, obviously. Y'all know who's number one if Lomachenko's number two. Um, you know, I think, I mean, Lomachenko makes guys quit, man. And that's tough. In a sport where you are expected and you are you know you're going to get hurt. You know you're going to get punched. You know you're going to get beat up. Those guys quit when they fight them. And it's not like he's fighting chumps. He's fighting legitimate contenders. And he is making guys quit. Guys, I talked about your win-loss record. Guys with zeros in their loss column. They voluntarily give, they, they, they say, you know what, whatever, I'll take that one. Because he is just amazing. And it's not that he's beating them up with brute force. It's a mental thing because they know they can't touch him. They've got nothing for him. So it's not a, a quitting of a physical manner. It's mentally, they, you're just like, I have nothing for him. I can't figure him out. And that's more crushing, in my opinion, than anything. So a close second. For my pound for pound list is Lomachenko, man, because this guy, he's got the best feet in the game, man. And right now, maybe hopefully he fights Mikey Garcia next. We'll see. But uh, I don't know if there's anybody who's gotten anything for him where he's at now. And number one, of course, is Terrence Crawford, uh, unified champion. 
Uh, but he's moving up now, so, you know, he's moving to 147. This guy, I mean, he dominated. He just dominated his weight class. There's nobody, there was nobody for him at 140. Now he's going up. And, you know, the welterweight division, my opinion, is the best division in boxing. Earl's there, Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia, Sean Porter, Lamont Peterson. I mean, it's a murderous row. It's a murderous row. But I definitely think, but, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count him out against anybody. And that includes my guy Earl. But hopefully that fight comes to fruition again. Like I said, maybe late 2018, probably early 2019. We'll see how it goes. But I think as it stands right now, um, just completely putting everything, everything in, factoring everything, I got to go with Terrence Crawford with the the, the number one seed as a pound-for-pound list. But if you want to go Vizali Lomachenko, I've gone back and forth over the last few few weeks. I've got no problem with that. All right, guys, you guys heard the horn. That means the first half is in the books. We're moving on to halftime. But before we do halftime, again, I want to make sure you guys understand that I want to hear from you. I want you guys to get involved with the show. Please make sure you tweet at me. Follow me on Twitter. We're at Quarterly Show. It's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. We're also on Instagram. We got a lot of fun things we do on Instagram. I want you guys to check all that stuff out. You can follow me at Quarterly Report. Again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Report. We're on Instagram. We've got a really fun series going on where I'm comparing the biggest stars in the NBA to our all of our favorite characters from the greatest show of all time, The Wire. I think this is a super fun comparison. I love doing it. I'm getting a lot of good feedback. If you haven't checked it out, go on to Instagram and follow us. Check out the page, Quarterly Report. You'll be able to see all the characters I've compared thus far to NBA stars. And also, subscribe to the show on iTunes. All you got to do is go to iTunes and go to the podcast directory. Search Quarterly Report. You'll see the icon. Click on that, subscribe, and while you're at it, rate and review the show. Let me, let the world, let your friends know what you think about the show, what you like, maybe what you don't even like. It's all good. I'm not sensitive. I don't have thin skin. Let me know. Let the world know what you like about the show. All right, guys. My favorite halftime is here. Again, it's the last show of the of the year, so I wanted to end out strong. My daughter, you know, she's a, a future star in the making. And whenever I record these shows, she always asks when's the next time she can go on to let you guys know her favorite quotes from my favorite basketball analyst of course i'm talking about bill walton so without further ado here is the latest edition of walton's words of wisdom it's time now for bill walton's words of wisdom the only way danny says is getting into the hall of fame is if he pays the $5.99 and mission free. Are you a good bowler? Shaq makes everyone in the league look like Michelle Tafoya. Get to the hoop, draw some contact, please. Kareem Adel Jabbar's left leg belongs in the Smithsonian. That's the easiest shot he's had this season, maybe in his entire career. And that was... Bill Walton's Word of Wisdom. Yeah, man. That's the star of the Lee household. Make no mistake. That's my little princess reading some of the best quotes from Bill Walton. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. That was halftime, obviously. But we're going to keep things moving, right? The first half is in the books. We've made our halftime adjustment so we're going to finish 2017 up really strong with our third quarter as i welcome in my friend and an amazing sports personality you guys need to check him out my guy travis thomas third quarter so as the show continues to grow you know i try to expand uh the list of guests that come on each week but with the year coming to an end i've definitely wanted to go back to the people who are closest to me and my next guest whether I had a podcast or not. He's definitely one of my closest friends, not just in the industry, but period. He's my guy. He's the host of Wizards Hang Time Overtime on NBC Washington. You 
can follow him on all your social media outlets at Travis Thomas Experience. This is my guy for real. Travis Thomas, Trav, thank you so much for joining me this week on the show. Man, you do an intro better than Sway in the Morning, man. Happy holidays <laughs> to you. It's good to be on with you, player. Nah, man, I appreciate you coming on. You already know what time it is. Um, we're going to get to a lot of things in this interview, but we're going to start on the gridiron, okay? We're heading into the last weekend of the regular season. And, you know, it's weird. Despite all the chaos that the league has had, in the AFC, I mean, it's gone at least at the top, pretty much chalk, right? The Patriots and the Steelers are right atop of the conference. And I think most people would assume that one of those two teams, probably New England, but one of those two teams, whether it's the Patriots or the Steelers, will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. However, the NFC is completely opposite, right? Everything is haywire. Uh, The Packers aren't in it, which is surprising. Seattle may not make it, which is surprising. And where it looked like just, you know, a month or so ago that the Eagles would completely dominate the NFC playoffs, Carson Wentz goes down, and now the entire conference seemingly is up for grabs. So my question to you is, who do you, I guess, have as the favorite to come out of the NFC and play, you know, in the Twin Cities in the Super Bowl? Well, I mean, obviously, you look at the top right now, even without Wentz, Philly looks formidable, uh, Minnesota, the Rams. But I'm going to the bottom teams. I'm going either New Orleans, Cam, or I truly believe Seattle's going to get the uh, wild, court, wild card spot. And you can never count out Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll together. I actually had a ginormous – I needed you yesterday. I had a ginormous <laughs> argument with my homeboys back home in St. Mary's County. I was there for the holidays. And they're all trying to sell me – on Minnesota and Case Keenum, on the Rams and Jared Goff, Philly with Nick Foles. I'm like, do you guys watch football or do you just skim through it? I mean, <laughs> it, it always in the playoffs comes down to quarterback play and head coaching, always. And they're like, no, man, defense. Defense wins championships. I said, give me an example. They're giving me 2,000 Ravens. They're giving me the – 2003 Tampa Bay Bucks. I'm like, dog, it's about to be 2018. Y'all giving me all this stuff. Let's talk recent. Let's. It's always quarterback play and head coaching. So to me, look, I love the season the Eagles had. You and I both know a lot of Eagles fans. Good for them, right? right? They're talking stone, you know what. Right. Uh, good for the Vikings. It'd be cool to see a team actually play a Super Bowl in their home on on their home turf. I don't see it happening. The Rams are a great story. I think the Niners will be that story next year. But at the end of the day, Sean Payton, Drew Brees, Rivera, Cam, been there before. Wilson, Carroll, if I'm right and they get in, it's going to be one of those. And I got to tell you, in a weird way, maybe he talked his way out of the spotlight because he said some boneheaded stuff this season. But it feels to me like Cam Newton – and the Panthers are flying under the radar. If I had to put my money on it right now, I'd probably bet Cam. But I would, I would love, for personal reasons, Armand, I'd love to see a Brady, Brady Breeze Super Sunday would be pretty epic. Yeah, man, a, a Breeze Brady Super Bowl would be, uh, would be really big uh, and fun. Um, but I'm, I think I may be leaning with you. I, I can't decide between New Orleans or Carolina, but I'm with you. The Panthers being so. Um, I guess flying so far under the radar, it does lend me to think that the Panthers could do it and pull it off. Uh, but we'll see. You know, uh, the NFC is wide wide open, so the playoffs should be fun. Should be, but who knows? Once again, guys, I'm joined by my partner, man. This is my guy, Travis Thomas. Make sure you follow him on all your social media outlets. He's at Travis Thomas Experience. He's the host of Wizards Hang Time and Overtime on NBC Washington. So. You hoop heads in the D.C. area. Make sure you check them out there on NBC Washington. Um, So we're going to keep it moving. We're going to step outside of the gridiron and step into the ring. You know, Trav, you and I are super cool, man. And one of the the things we talk about the most is boxing. And I know you feel like me, 2017. I talked about it earlier in the show. It was such a huge year for the the sport. Um, A lot of really fun fights. A lot of really exciting fighters. So my question to you is, 
of just this year, I'm not asking you for pound for pound, but who, in your opinion, had the best, the best year of all fighters, no matter the weight class, who owned 2017? Uh, I think that's a probably a two-part answer. I think it's a purist answer like you and I, and mm. then I think it's probably your casual fan, which we're always trying to capture. Right. For your purist, I mean, I'm sure you and I probably agree that it's it's Bud Crawford. I think he just right. really – he finally took that step that all of us knew he could, and, and he is starting to creep into casual fan territory now. Right. Uh, with him moving up, he's going to have some, some super fights here soon. I personally can't wait to see it. People keep talking Lomachenko. I love Lomachenko. He wants no parts of Bud Crawford. He's too big. Right. I would much rather see him against some bigger guys like a Keith Thurman or, or Spence or someone like that. So those are fights on the horizon that will put him in the casual fan um, category. But I, I think really the probably the, the poppy answer would be Anthony Joshua, just right. because it's a heavyweight division. And yeah. my fight of the year, it's not even close. There's probably some fights that were on somebody's undercard that were better, uh, that went the distance and were bloody, and guys got knocked down, and it looked like a scene from Rocky. But <laughs> nothing to me tops Klitschko and Joshua. That was amazing. Yeah. I've never been – I mean, I just don't remember being off of my seat for a heavyweight fight in many moons. Yeah. And uh, that was one of them. And to me, look, Klitschko has handcuffed that division for a decade. Right. And he's a boring fighter. People, he has no personality at all. I mean, he has the right. personality of a robot. He fought like a robot. And here comes this kid who's oozing with charisma. Oozing with charisma. Seems like he's a class act. He's not a jerk. He doesn't get in trouble. He's a good-looking guy. He fights an exciting style. He's a, he's an amazing athlete. It looks like he could be an NBA power forward, for God's sake. Or a defensive end. He's just yeah. a superior athlete, period. And he not only... Um, you know, ends the reign of Klitschko, but it, he did it in exciting fact. That uppercut that hit Klitschko yeah. and put him out was just, it was unbelievable. So, to me, that's fighter of the year and fighter of the year for, for probably more of uh, this discussion. You and I, if we chopping it up, I'm going to say right. Bud Crawford. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, there really are two answers. I think, you know, from a selfish, like, personal standpoint, like you said, man, Bud did so much this year. He unified a division. I think he was the only unified champion in the sport, and he did it in such an impressive fashion against high-caliber fighters, and he made it look so easy. He's moving up, so we'll see what 2018 has in store for him. But I don't think anyone did more for their brand, you know what I mean, than their personal Q rating, if you will. Than AJ, man. I mean, Joshua was selling out stadiums. You know what I mean? He 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 put an end to the Klitschko era and has transitioned seamlessly into being the face of the heavyweight division, maybe the face of, you know, boxing worldwide. And like you said, he's an exciting fighter. Uh, he's an exciting heavyweight, something that we haven't seen in, in a while. He speaks English. He speaks it well, obviously. He's got the look. He's got the charisma. I mean, you know, his arrow's pointing up, so... I'm with you. I think overall, I think AJ, I agree, is probably the fighter of the year. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy, Travis Thomas. Make sure you follow him on all your social media outlets for hoops, NFL, fitness, boxing, MMA, the whole nine. The guy literally covers it all. He can You can follow him on Travis Thomas Experience on all your social media outlets. Um so we talked about football, right? We just finished talking about talking about boxing, but Travis also hosts NBC Washington. He's the pregame host for Wizards uh, Hang Time and Overtime. So I'm going to get you out of here with your thoughts on the Wiz kids. Um, this season, they came in with such high expectations, man. The whole city, the whole league nationally were, were buzzing about what the Wizards can do. Will they finally get 50 wins? Will they be a rival for the Celtics and the Cavaliers? But, you know, John's talking about wolf season, the whole nine. But, you know, the first two months of the season, it hasn't really gone according to plan. You know what I mean? But they got a huge win on Christmas, winning at Boston. And they've. it seems like they may be starting to get things, starting to figure things out. So as someone who watched them each night, do you think that 
the the struggles are in their past and now they can start to round into shape or are there still some issues that concern you with the squad? Absolutely not. There's there's no living up to the hype with this team at all this season. And I listen, I've been on an island on my show, believe me. Uh, I, I'm, I Maybe I'm almost too much of a football guy for my own good, and, and maybe it doesn't translate to the NBA, but I tell you what, I'm, I'm from the Bill Parcells thought of you are what your record is, okay? Yeah. And so they're 19 and 15, and you cannot tell me this roster is not better than that record projects. And right. that's what's driving Wizards fans crazy. You know, it's like we beat Boston – on freaking Christmas Day on a national stage, everyone's watching. And then guess what? They play the Hawks tonight. The Hawks are the worst team in the league. Yeah. Do I think the Wizards will win? Sure I do. But would I be surprised if they lose that game? Absolutely not. Would I be surprised if that game's closer than it should be? Absolutely not, because that's what this team does. And right. so I look at things like defensive inefficiency. I look at things like, dare I say it, but, you know, I think they could be better coached at times. Scott Brooks has such a cachet in this league that no one calls him out. I'm not afraid. I call him out right on our own show, you know. So right. I just think there are flaws with this team, and this team does not do well with prosperity at all. Everyone keeps saying, well, they beat the good teams. Yeah, but part of being a good team and a great, potentially great team is you beat good teams, but you also beat who you're supposed to. Yeah, and that that gets you, you know. It listen, seeding matters in the NBA playoffs, and right. Wizards fans have this idea that we're we're going to make the playoffs regardless. Okay, sure. Do you want LeBron first round, or <laughs> do you want a team you got a shot against? I right. mean, it's just that simple. So I, I I'm not sold, man. I it's probably for me, uh, and I know it really doesn't get ramped up till you know after the All Star break. But for me, at this point, at least the first half of the season, this team is they, – they, they, they are what their record is. I don't think they handle prosperity well. And I think we're just going to continue to see a lot of the inconsistencies that we've seen so far. Uh, for me, I'll really be watching after the All-Star break to see if they kind of take that, you know, that next step. But for now, not at all. Not sold. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, there was such – high expectations for the Wizards this year. And I think most people thought that the Wiz would go from good to great. But you said it best. You know, good teams can beat other good teams, but then they they can't they can't keep that focus. They can't keep that level of consistency against teams that they are expected to beat. The great teams do that, right? The great teams can beat other good teams and then dominate the bad teams, right? They, they have no days off. And the Wizards, I think, thus far halfway almost through the season, you're seeing that they they still can't get to that great level yet. They, they've almost plateaued. And usually, right, when teams struggle, right, when they play down to their level of competition, that is something that goes directly to coaching. And, you know, you, you were strong against Brooks, but most people, especially in this area, they're not. And I don't know what it is. But the fact that they're so wildly inconsistent, like you said, they can beat Boston on Christmas, but a few games earlier, they lose to Brooklyn by like 20-plus points. The whole thing, it's it's frustrating. And I can only imagine how infuriating it would be if you are a Wizards fan. Yeah, I, I'll tell you another thing they do that drives me crazy. And usually it takes teams – you know, winning a couple titles before they act like this. For some reason, the Wizards have it already, and they haven't won jack. But right. they, they talk a lot of trash, and they yeah. talk it in a way of, well, we feel like we're the best backcourt in the NBA. Well, we feel like we're the best team in the East. Well, we feel like, whoa, 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 whoa. What right. you're doing there is you're crowning yourself when you haven't done anything, A. And, B, you're giving the other team – I mean, the NBA season's so long – how dare you give another team motivation on a night when maybe they play back the best, they don't want right. to be here, their legs are tired, and you're coming into the game talking about we think we're the best in the East? I mean, why wouldn't you if you're a LeBron or a Boston or a or a Philly who's ascending or a Greek freak who's making a name for himself, why wouldn't you say, hold on a second, let me show you what I can do tonight since you're talking this trash. All of a sudden you have an inspired team on the other end of you when if you had just shut up and played, you probably would have got a win. 
you know, luckily there's still a half a season left. And you know guys will, you know, round into shape, uh, sharpen their focus as the playoffs near. So, you know, hopefully for Wizards fans, you know, this is just a little obstacle, a little bit uh, of a hurdle that uh, will propel them, hopefully, into a long playoff run. All right, guys, once again, I'm joined by my guy, Travis Thomas. Make sure you follow him on all your social media outlets at Travis Thomas Experience. He is the host of Wizards Hang Time and Wizards Overtime on NBC Washington. If you're in the D.C. area, he also has a radio show on 106.7 The Fan. You're going to have to check you know, Travis Thomas Experience for times for that on 106.7 The Fan. But again, the guy's everywhere online. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Uh, really dope follow. He does fitness, MMA, boxing, NFL, NBA, you name it. Trav, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report, man, and have a safe and amazing uh, new year, bro. Man, you already know I'm excited for 2018 and uh, have me back on so we can break down the year that's about to be. Yes, sir. All right, guys, we are three quarters down. That means there's one quarter left of not just the show, but of 2017, so let's finish strong with our last topic this week. Fourth quarter. 2017 is coming to an end, man. And I got I to gotta admit, man, 2017 was a wild year, but looking back, I really enjoyed it, man. Now, it had some ups and it had some crazy downs. And not to editorialize, we had we a chaotic time, potentially, right? But I'm going to leave this show. And we're going to end 2017 on the quarterly report, looking back on some of the more memorable topics that at least have moved me, right? And it maybe have changed me in terms of the way I look at sports and other things. One of the biggest stories, I think, of 2017 was the, I guess, how would I put it? The, the, I guess troublesome year when it comes to the the NFL. Like football not too long ago was looked upon as being the you know unstoppable force immovable object combined, right? Like football was looked to looked to be like the cash cow. And it still is. Like the 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 talk of the NFL's demise is greatly overstated. The NFL still prints out money. The NFL is still Easily the best sport, the biggest sport in North America, right? The ratings, though, although they have dropped, are still massive. Like, they're better than 90% of anything that is on television. But you, you're starting to see the cracks. And I don't know if they can be repaired. I mean, like, everybody's so quick to want to wanna rush to the next thing, right? You see all these people talk about, oh, well, the NBA's, it's next, and the NBA is going to overtake the NFL. And maybe it happens, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. This type of stuff is generational. The same thing happens with, like, eSports. And everybody's like, oh, man, eSports is going to be the next big thing. And it, it may very well be, but it's not going to be the next big thing next year, right? It's generational. These things take time. And just like whereas so many people are, like, rejoicing almost in the NFL's um, shaky past two years. If the NFL does fall from its position as the king sport of America, it's not going to happen overnight. However, you are starting to see some real issues that the league just can't shake. And I don't know what, what happens, right? Because Americans, we love the sport of football, but Y'all know me, like I said, well, boxing, people love to watch people fight. But if you're not careful, you're in a position where you become your own worst enemy. And all the issues, all of the issues that the NFL, that they're facing, in some way, shape or form, they're all self-inflicted wounds. Now, some of this stuff, like the concussion, the CTE stuff, that's an issue that Obviously, they they can't control, but they could have controlled the the messaging by being honest. 
right, generations ago. And the fact that they tried to be sneaky and all their dirt has finally come to the light, it becomes problematic because you can't trust any of the people who are in power because they all have their hands dirty as well. So I think the biggest story for me in 2017 is just how vulnerable the NFL is years, literally years after looking like they're Nikki Barnes out this joint, like they ain't Mr. Untouchable. And they used to flex. The NFL is some big shit talking, some, you know what I'm saying, sons of you know what. And, and karma is real. It came back on them, and it came back on them quick. But let's not act like their, their, their downfall is right around the corner because things don't work like that. Like, it would have to take some, some awful, something truly awful. And the NFL has has bathed in an awfulness like recently, but it's going to have to take something catastrophic for this process to accelerate. You could see it coming possibly, but let's not act like the NBA has all this stuff together. You know, they've got a bunch of things that they are dealing with. And one of the things that they, or the sport of basketball is dealing with is another thing that I think we all, whether you like them or hate them, we all have to acknowledge just how how much of a factor LeVar Ball has become, right? December 27, 2016, I had no idea who LeVar Ball was. I'm being dead ass when I say that. Now, y'all know I'm not a big college basketball fan, and I don't follow high school sports like that. So I don't even know if I knew who Lonzo was. I may have. At this point, I probably... Saw a few mocks and, you know, people were talking about Lonzo and how, you know, how much of a, 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 a great passer he was and how he reminded a lot of people of Jason Kidd. So I may have heard of Lonzo, but not not to this level. And I never heard I never heard of LeVar or LaMelo or LiAngelo in no big baller brand. And in 12 months, maybe less than that, really. He has become a force. And again, whether you like him or not, that's not really what I want to talk about. And I've tried to steer clear of those conversations because people's opinion of Lon- of LeVar affect how they, they view him. And they affect how they, in many instances, respect him and respect his mind. Look, you don't, you don't have to like LeVar Ball to be like, yo, what he's trying to do with this league, what he did do for his sons. I mean, he changed the game. How many people can say that? He literally changed the game. And I hope, I hope this this new big baller league or whatever he's going to call it, I hope it works. Because what, what they call it, like agitators, right? Like Uber and Lyft. They disrupt, it's disruptors or agitators where they disrupt the norm, you know, taxis had, uh, it was like they were running the alternative, you know, driving lifestyle. And, you know, if you had a Metro transit in your city, you had that as well. Well, you know, I live in DC and Metro is awful. Like people don't ride Metro like they used to. And people don't use taxis anymore. And Uber and Lyft, they're a big reason because they're a big reason why. And these guys have changed the game. Uh, Dollar Shave Club. They're another group of people where they just flipped an entire industry on its heels by just looking at things differently. And that type of innovation, that type of courage, that type of forward thinking, I'm down with that, man. Like, whether I like LeVar Ball, whether I like all his tactics, whether I think he's annoying... You know, that's all beside the point. If you can't respect that man's mind and you know what you're hearing to talk about the NBA, maybe going back to high school, allowing high school players to to get into the league. What the NBA needs to be doing. They need to be thinking about getting sports legalized And Adam Silver clearly is big on that sports betting legalized. Excuse me. They need to be thinking about expanding getting a team, whether it's in Mexico or getting a team in Europe, because I think that's just going to help them 
I mean, the NBA is already a global sport, or basketball is already a global sport. And if they become the first league to to get to get a team in three different nations, I think that's pretty dope. But next, they need to figure out how to get their G League up and running and how to monetize that. Like baseball, baseball fans, they know all the all the players in their of on their farm system. Like they know the top prospects. And I don't know if the game is baseball is a game in which you could televise this and and have it draw and connect with fans that way. But basketball is, I think what you saw with the big three league, I think what you see with obviously college basketball, people love watching that. And if these, and high school games, I mean, you, there's so many streaming sites stream top notch high school games. And if the VAR balls league does anything, and I'm pulling for them, man, because number one, I don't like the fact that college kids have to go to, or top basketball players have to go to school for one year because you can you can lose so much money in that one year. And if they're and if a team is ready to draft a player, who cares if they're ready or not? If a team is ready to draft them, they should be able to make money. Again, like I said earlier, I'm a capitalist. Let these people make money because you're not going to be able to play basketball your entire life. You know what I mean? So if you, at the age of 17 or 18, are willing and able to make money, go for it, man. I, I hope you make it. But you, the, the league could get behind this, right? Much like, you know, we talked about with the XFL. You see someone's idea. You see someone's creativity. And then you can build on it. So I hope LeVar sets the blueprint because I want a developmental league to be televised. There's, a, there's an NBA network. They should be they should be broadcasting all these guys in all these games. And it shouldn't be like some second rate league. It should be done at the top notch, the, the same quality that, you know, Tuesday night fan night or the players only games are broadcast. You know, this is big business. The resources are there. So I hope the G League takes off, but more importantly, I hope the rules are changed because LaVar sparked it. You know, that idea to have your own league for top high school players to go to if they don't want to go to college. Because we all know that college game is a sham. We all know it. So why not make money? So I, I'm pulling for him. And I think his presence is undeniable. It was clearly one of the biggest stories in sports this year. Outside of sports, man... I talked about Star Wars last week. I'm not going to do it this week. You know what? One of the things, and I'm going to leave, this is going to be my last topic, man. Will Smith. A lot of people were killing Will Smith over this Bright movie. I haven't seen it yet. It's on Netflix if you are not familiar. Critics are saying it's one of the worst movies ever. But everybody I know who saw it, they some they kind of enjoyed it. So I'm intrigued. But make no mistake, no matter how many bad movies Will Smith does in a row, no matter how bad this movie Bright may be, I don't care what none of y'all say. Will Smith still is Mike Lowry. He gave me Mike Lowry. So I'm always rocking with Will Smith. He gave me Fresh Prince and he gave me Mike Lowry. You understand? I can't, I can't look at him crazy. He's got a he's on a losing streak. He's been taking a lot of L's lately. But you know what? He seems to be loving life. He's got a few classics. He's got a classic television show. He's got a classic movie. My daughter loves getting jiggy with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he seems to be loving life. So honestly, how can anybody say he's got some L's? Because it looks like he's winning for real. There ain't gonna be no Mike Lowry slander. It only will be so much because some of the movies he came out with some, some trash. Okay. Hancock, that was awful. You understand? I didn't even see Suicide Squad. And this bright movie, I don't even know how I don't even know how you pitch it. <laughs> you know? It's a cop buddy movie and your partner's a monster. You understand? But you know what? He's winning. He seems to be enjoying himself. He's got a beautiful family. And that man's Mike Lowry. 
So those are my thoughts of 2017. You know, uh, some odd things, some interesting things, but 2017, man, despite some of the, the scary moments we've had as a nation, the crazy moments that we've had, and, you know, the moments that kind of leave you, you know, hoping for the best, the year was kind of fun, man, and it went by fast. It went by fast for me. I don't know how fast it went for you, but hopefully you guys enjoyed the year, and hopefully we're going to all have a great 2018, and hopefully you guys enjoyed this last quarterly report show of 2017. Once again, let me know your thoughts on the show. The show is completely interactive. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear... If there's some topics that you want to hear me discuss, let me know. You can email me in the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. You can tweet at me at quarterly show. The show is also on Instagram. It's quarterly report. Again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E report. And make sure you follow and subscribe to the show on iTunes. All you got to do is go to iTunes, go to the podcast directory, search quarterly report. You'll see the icon click on it with my face and subscribe and while you're at it please rate and review the show all right y'all man i hope you guys stay safe this weekend man don't do anything stupid enjoy your time enjoy the last few days of 2017 and i will see you guys right back here next week for the first show of 2018 on the quarterly report